Hi everyone, I'm your co-host Rach. And I'm your co-host Rebecca. And welcome to another episode of Ember Island Sayers. This week we'll be discussing Season 3, Episode 7, The Runaway. In this episode, Katara questions Toph's use of earthbending to con Fire Nation citizens out of their money. Meanwhile, the specter of the assassin Zuko hired looms over the gang. Ugh. I know, I made this summary very dramatic. Ominous. <laughs> yeah, even though it's not really a super dramatic episode. No, I mean, there's drama between the characters, but... That's true, that's true. And it's also a little bit of a spoiler for the end of the episode, but hopefully you've seen it by now if you're listening. So we're going to get into it, but before that... Would you like to share your poem, Rach, for Sokka's Poetry Society? Okay. It's kind of long. I surprised myself. Ooh. Well, I'm curious to hear it. <laughs> okay. It's from Toph's perspective. Here we go. <laughs> Deception is a risky thing, veiled in scams and trickery. I'll sling the dice and pull the strings, conceal my identity. I was built to play these games, feigning helpless innocence. Just when you thought I was lame, my moxie causes dissonance. This wild and crazy way of life, hustling scammers out of money, was bound to cause some family strife, and the consequences aren't funny. I wish you'd see it my way, wish you'd learn to be a kid, but I also know her last day was the day your childhood hid. I'm sorry for my recklessness and for my desire to fight. Sometimes your nurturing is the best. Together we'll put things right. Wow, I think that was a better summary of the episode than my summary. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> no, that was really, really good. And I think it's funny because you always talk about how like Toph isn't one of my favorite characters. <laughs> But then I remember you did the poem for um, The Blind Bandit as well, and that was really good, and I feel like you have a really good understanding of her character. Yeah, I, f I feel like I kind of have to work double time to understand her because we're so different, and I try to make a really conscious effort of doing that. Because I know she's a lot of people's favorite character, and it's not that I dislike her, I just have a very hard time relating to her, so... Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, I think you do an excellent job in analyzing her personality, and uh, your poems are very beautiful. Well, thank you. <laughs> and I noticed the uh, rhyme scheme that you used in this poem. That was very good. Yeah, I stopped my um, couplets, or is that what they're called? <laughs> yeah, rhyming couplets. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we had a conversation on our Discord about rhyme schemes. Yeah, it's fun to try out different ones, I think, and kind of experiment with them. Yeah, yeah. It was nice to switch things up. I don't know why my, like, default state was couplets. I think you said they're used in a lot of Disney songs, so... Yep. It's probably a subconscious <laughs> thing on my part. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably. <laughs> yeah, the theater kid and me popping out. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it was, it was really fun, so thank you for sharing that. Of course. All right, so should we get into this episode then? All right. Start with the, uh... I called it a Tarantino-style opening. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really think of it as that. That Probably because I have only seen huh, Confession Time on this podcast. <laughs> I have only seen one Tarantino movie, and I didn't even finish it. And I have seen every Tarantino movie. <laughs> Some of them more unfortunate than the other. <laughs> yep, yep. So I guess that's probably why my mind didn't go straight to that. But it is what is known as a in medias res opening, mm -hmm. which basically just means that it begins in the middle of the story rather than at the beginning. <laughs> and then we get the flashback after that. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. We ha I don't think we really have had that before. No, I don't think so either. And I was trying to think of why they chose this. And I think maybe it's because this episode only had one plot line, so they were trying to mix it up a little bit and add some suspense. I agree with you, actually. Yeah, I think it's something that 
Actually, they do a lot in TV shows other than Avatar. Like, I think Alias um, did it a lot. Mm. And I think it can be very dynamic in terms of, like, action. Um, and it sort of lends itself towards that. And it's pretty clear, I think, at least it was to me, that this is not what it appears to be. Like, I wasn't fooled in being like, oh, Katara, I'm sure, is betraying Toph. Right. <laughs> because even though, like, yes, I know that they've fought before, like, I still don't think that Katara would be the kind of person to do that. No, especially not turn her into, like, these Fire Nation soldiers kind of thing, so... <laughs> right, that's a crazy thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely suspected that something else was going on. Yeah, it's kind of like a how did they end up in this situation sort of question that the episode then has to answer. And so we flash back to three days earlier. <laughs> yes, so we start with Aang training, which it's good to see him training again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we don't really get to see much of that. Um, and I liked your note about this, actually. Yeah, I felt like they were sort of implying that he's been training this whole time and not having to show us that every episode of book three because I feel like that just, it takes away a big chunk of time from the plot. Yeah, and this just lets us know that, like, it's going on in the background. Right. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Yeah, in case you all were wondering, like, you know, no, he's not thinking about the eclipse. He's just... Throwing dance parties and <laughs> saving villages and, you know, that kind of thing. Just Avatar things. Yeah. yeah. It's a cool training sequence, I think. It's cool that he is training blindfolded mm. because it kind of replicates the way Toph uses her earthbending to see. Right, yeah. He's really got that technique down because they show him earthbending and they show him kind of like sussing out the energy and feeling the earth. So we're like, yay, Aang has learned Toph's strategy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I think he's pretty much like mastered it at this point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's doing a good job. Mm -hmm. But Katara... And Toph are not getting along very well. No, they are not. I think at one point, Aang dodges one of Toph's boulders and it hits Katara and she does not take this very well. So they just start fighting. Yep. <laughs> the girls are fighting again. I don't know. We'll talk more about this as we go through the episode, I think. But I do think that they're fighting... It only seems to happen when it suits the story. It's kind of random. I mean, I think in the chase, it made more sense because they were like sleep deprived and Toph had just joined the group. So I felt like it made a little bit more sense there. But here it's just kind of out of the blue. Like, you know, why they suddenly really annoyed at each other again. Yeah, I just don't think we saw anything really leading up to it, and that's a little bit of an issue. I don't have an issue with them, like, actually fighting, because I think it makes a lot of sense once we get the reasoning behind it, but I do think they could have... I don't know. It's hard for me, because I think this episode and the conversation had between some characters is extremely important, but it feels... Like the timing just feels off to me, if that makes sense. Yeah, it doesn't feel like it's sequential. Aside from the Combustion Man stuff, which obviously is um, sequential from what's been happening, and I can finally call him Combustion Man now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the rest of it feels like it's not really stemming from anything. But anyway, uh, it's what's happening. <laughs> And Aang is kind of hilarious um, while they are fighting. I just think the dynamics are funny, like Sokka and Aang vibing while Katara and Toph freak out. It just cracks me up. 
I loved Aang's line. Are we taking a break? <laughs> uh, and then Sokka tries to join in and fails miserably. <laughs> well, he does the sneak attack, which is, uh, I think, hindered by the fact that he announces he's doing a sneak attack. <laughs> He do- he doesn't just announce it. He like screams it at the top of his lungs. It's like you do. Do you know what a sneak attack is? <laughs> That's basically what Aang says to him. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you understand the concept very well. One brain cell duo. They really return in this episode. <laughs> they do. They do. Later, they have a very great moment as well. Yes, <laughs> where they come up with another terrible plan. The fight, I don't think, really gets resolved in any way. No. But uh, we do get a conversation about how they don't really have any money left. Yeah, I think they have one silver piece, and that's it. One silver piece! (laughs) Perfect, perfect. I love it. (laughs) Yeah, so they are a little short on money. And uh, they decide to go into town to, I guess, do some shopping. I think that's what they were originally planning. Yeah, I think Aang asks, like, what are we going to do with our last silver piece? And Toph's like, well, I know what we can do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Sokka wants to buy a messenger hawk. Yeah, they kind of dismiss that idea almost immediately. Um, and Katara isn't with them. She's stayed behind to clean up after the fight with Toph. Right, right. Um, So it's just the three of them. Toph sees this guy who is scamming people out of their money. Yes, he's... I don't know what this game is called. It's like a shell game where you put a rock under one of three shells and he mixes them around and you have to guess where the rock ends up. And Toph can feel with her earthbending that he is moving the rock at the last second. Right. So clearly, um, you know, the people who are playing the game are not going to get any money. And I think this is pretty common for this game in like real life as well. Oftentimes, you know, people cheat at it, so to speak. Yeah. Toph has the idea that with her earthbending, she can make sure that she wins. Yes. (laughs) I kind of feel like this isn't the first time that Toph has done something like this. (laughs) Probably not. I mean, we meet her as someone who is, like, competing in this underground earthbending tournament under a pseudonym, so I feel like she's pulled off scams before. Yeah, yeah. But I feel like this time is almost justified because this guy who's playing the game, he like singles her out when he notices that she's blind. So I was like, yeah, go ahead and hustle this guy. He was about to steal money from a blind little girl. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I think that in doing so, she's uh, playing into the fact that people tend to underestimate her because she's blind. It made me think about Iroh, actually, and how Iroh also um, tends to get people to underestimate him and then disarm them. And I think Toph is very similar in that, you know, she was really playing up like, I'm blind, I don't know anything. (laughs) She's like moving her hands around trying to feel the pieces. It's like, oh, Toph. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, that helps her because then the dealer is caught off guard. Yeah, that's why I use the word hustle. <laughs> I learned that I learned that from Drake and Josh. <laughs> Just a side I note. <laughs> I've never seen that show. It was this episode where they were playing pool together. And I don't remember which character, but one of them, like, pretended he was really bad at pool and flubbed the first game and then he came back like miraculously and started winning so (laughs) nice nice yeah and it's just funny because like um Iroh and Toph have met before Mm. and they found some common ground so I just kind of liked the connection between them there as well yeah yeah so she manages to con the Connor I guess (laughs) (laughs) Hustle the Hustler, uh, out of quite a lot of money. 
Yeah, she even at one point bets Sokka's sword. I felt so bad for Sokka. Me too. He's just the look of pain on his face. He was so panicked. I know. And it's like, that's a special sword. Like, I can understand. <laughs> she knew she was going to win. <laughs> she did. She did. Yeah. And I like that when she does win, Aang is like, Flamio, top. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she bets Sokka's sword, but obviously she still manages to win. And they end up with lots of money, and they go back to the camp, I guess, that they've set up. Yeah, it looks like they've bought a lot of food. I think they won 40 silver pieces initially, and I just said they should have stopped there and called it a day. (laughs) They really should have, yeah. I think it's one of those things where it's like you... It's kind of like gambling, right? right? Like, <laughs> you gamble, and then you win, like, a decent amount, and you're like, oh, this is great. And then, of course, you start gambling more, and then you lose it all. Um, but if you just stuck with that to begin with, you probably would have been better off. Yeah. I'm not a risk taker, so... <laughs> no, I'm not either. I'm really bad at gambling. Yeah, you're right. They come back with lots of food and stuff, um, and Katara kind of starts to question this, and then they end up telling her what they did yeah and katara is not very happy about this i think you know she's reluctant because they're in disguise right now they don't want to be drawing too much attention to themselves and i think she realizes there are going to be consequences for these actions eventually Yeah, and I do agree with her because, you know, it's a slippery slope, right? Um, Once you start, like you said, if they just stopped there, that would have been one thing. But the fact that they then go on to do more stuff and it just kind of gets worse and worse. Mm -hmm. And so I can see Katara kind of, uh, you know, being the voice of reason here. And uh, what she's saying does make sense. Even if they accuse her of not being fun. Oh, poor Katara. (laughs) I don't think Toph would accuse her of that if she was around during the waterbending scroll episode. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Katara, I guess, has changed somewhat since then, too. Like, she's grown, right, since the beginning of the show. It's interesting that she has kind of... On some levels, I think she's always been this way, because, like, Sokka talks about later on. But at the same time, I think that, you know, maybe... As you say, if Toph had met her back in the day. (laughs) Yeah, and I also think that's, it's different in a way. I mean, it's very similar, but it's also like she could kind of justify it in her mind because this was something that she could use to train herself and Aang. And And she wasn't really a part of this whole deciding where the money would go. Like they kind of just lavishly spent all this money on food and it's like okay (laughs) yeah I I know you need food but at the same time it's like you're being really irresponsible with this stuff so I think I think there is a little bit of a difference at least I can see it from Katara's point of view why there would be some discrepancies there yeah yeah um And she does have a funny part where she puts Momo on her head (laughs) when she's trying to show that she's fun. And I did just want to bring that up because I've seen that gif before. (laughs) Yes, and Momo being used as a hat again. Momo sometimes wears hats, and Momo sometimes is a hat. (laughs) Range. (laughs) (laughs) Momo has so much range. Yeah, so Toph... It's kind of unconvinced that Katara is fun. Aang, you know, tries to reassure her a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, and then he straight up lies. (laughs) He does, yeah. He says, Katara, I promise you on, like, my Avatar's honor or something like that, that we're not going to do this again. And then immediately we cut to them doing it again. (laughs) Oh, Aang. Not one of your finest moments. (laughs) No, promise is not really worth a lot, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, so then we get this scamming montage. And like you said before, it just progressively gets more and more ridiculous. (laughs) Like, they start off 
pretty safe. I feel like they if they just stuck to like the small scams playing what looks like kind of a dice like game. Mm. I tried to find out what that game was, but I could not. Okay. But yeah, it looks like it's kind of their version of dice, but they're like long sticks instead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it just <laughs> goes downhill from there to the point where they're basically collecting hush money from this guy that they scam into thinking he ran over Toph with his carriage. <laughs> and Wang Fire makes a reappearance. Yes. Wang Fire, who has now become a Fire Nation guard. <laughs> he has range as well. Yes. You know, he can be uh, Kuzon's father. <laughs> he can be a Fire Nation guard, whatever he wants to be. <sighs> yeah, and it's, it just it all gets very silly. Um, and yeah, Toph just like throwing herself into this carriage and then uh, Sokka slash Wangfire collecting lots of money. <laughs> they make even more money than they had before. Yeah, and it's at this point that Katara's very much irritated and saying okay we made this money now it's time to stop because this is getting completely out of control which I agree with (laughs) yeah yeah and Katara I think also thinks that there is an underlying reason behind what's going on with Toph Mm, yeah she kind of attributes it to Toph and uh, pretending not to care about the fact that that she's no longer with her parents. Yeah, and Toph has this little speech about how, like, they're free, they can do whatever they want, this is great, they get to travel the world, and she's kind of viewing this almost like a vacation sort of thing, and I do think she is the one in the group who thrives the most in this environment, And I think there's a part of her that's upset at Katara for not being more grateful about their situation, but she's really failing to see where Katara is coming from because Katara liked her life at the South Pole, you know, for the most part. She was with her community. She loved her grand-grand and the people she lived with. But the reason why Toph is so happy is because this is completely opposite from where she grew up and she's away from her parents who controlled her. So they're just coming at this from completely opposite points of view. Yeah. I also think there is a little bit of privilege involved as well with the way Toph behaves with respect to money. Because I think money is kind of meaningless to Toph. She grew up like with all this privilege. So to her, just like stealing people's money, having money, it's not really something that she particularly thinks about, I would imagine. Whereas I think Katara has much more of a concept of like, you know, um, keeping track of like how much stuff they have. And she probably um, had to do a lot of work in her tribe to like get supplies and things like that. Yeah, and she probably also knows how to get by on a lot less as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, So I think that might also have to do with their differences in points of view. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, so like you said, she... Katara sort of accuses Toph of missing her parents, and that's why she's acting out. And I don't... I honestly don't know if Toph misses her parents, but I do think she regrets the way she left them because there really was no form of closure there. Mm-hmm. I think Toph is someone who hates being open about her feelings, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's something that we get from Toph. And, you know, even stuff like her little crush on Sokka, she doesn't like admitting to it or you know showing it in any way right right she masks her affection with like 
hitting people on the arms. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I feel like maybe that's sort of where this is coming from a little bit, which is that like maybe Katara's right in that she does at least care about her parents, yeah. but she's pretending that she doesn't give a uh, you know what. <laughs> I cornered myself there. <laughs> a rat's arrow. A rat's arrow. <laughs> I love it. I love it. A rat's arrow. <laughs> so I think maybe there's a little bit of truth there. Yeah, I think so too. But neither of them really want to give on this issue. And Sokka tries to defuse the detention. <laughs> <laughs> he does. He tries. Because Katara's like, whatever, we don't have time to deal with this right now because guess what? We have this assassin who's after us. And this is when Sokka tries to come up with a name for him. And his initial name is Sparky Sparky Boom Man. It doesn't roll off the tongue super well. I still love it. It's funny. Yeah, I love Sokka's uh, attempts at, I don't know, weird stuff like names and things like that. (laughs) Yeah, so the argument keeps going, even though Sokka tries to stop it. And I think this is really where we get to the root of the problem, because Toph really resents Katara because she doesn't want to be parented. And Katara is the only one willing to try and teach her some kind of moral responsibility in their friend group yeah and we get to it a little bit more later on i think in terms of like uh you know she even says to katara like you're not my mom yeah but i think the seeds of that are kind of planted here uh anyway (laughs) awkward (laughs) but Sokka is going to escape the awkwardness for a little (laughs) Yes, he is going to go put his money to good use and buy that hawk that he's always wanted. (laughs) Oh my goodness. I am so sad that I knew going in, well, I'm just sad in general, that this hawk is only in one episode because he is the best and I stan him. Yeah, they have a really fun dynamic, I feel like. Hockey and Sokka. (laughs) Hockey and Sokka. (laughs) Haka. <laughs> they are really, really cute together. And uh, Sokka doesn't really know anything about hawks. Right. He doesn't even know like how to send messages with them or anything. But um, he still is having a good time. And uh, they seem to get along pretty well. Honestly, <laughs> this is another way that you remind me of Sokka a little bit. Because I feel like... If Lucky hadn't have come into your life, like, the first thing you would have done when you were out on your own and had the money, you would have bought a pet. (laughs) I think you are correct. (laughs) I think you'd be better at naming your pet than Sokka, but he's also 15 years old, so. (laughs) He is, he is, yeah. It's kind of like Rob, who's like, yeah, I named my... Uh, Wolf Grey Wind, because I was 14. <laughs> Aang's really good at naming animals, though. Yeah. I'm just glad that Sokka didn't get to name Momo, or he would have been, like, Lemurry or something. <laughs> Lemurry. But Hawkey does kind of sound like Lucky. <laughs> and the other way in which I think Sokka and I are similar is that Sokka gets pooped on by Hawkey yes. at one point. <laughs> You're going to have to explain that one for the audience. (laughs) I will. I'll have to explain. (laughs) So I work with crows. I don't remember if I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but I study wild crows. And shockingly, um, I had never been pooped on by a crow until quite recently when I was in a car. This is how we observe them, usually in the car. And the sunroof was open and there was a crow right above me. And I was actually taking pictures of it for a little bit. And then I stopped taking pictures, and the crow pooped on me. I was first of all shocked that that had never happened before, and I've been studying crows for like five years now. But uh, yeah, when I saw this episode, I was like, ha, can relate. (laughs) 
Going back to the episode, uh, Hockey Poops on Sokka. <laughs> and this is after they discover a wanted poster of Toph. So I kind of felt like this was hockey swearing and bird language. Like he was just saying S-H-I-T. You know, that makes sense, yeah. Yeah, so he finds this poster and he immediately takes it back to the camp. I will just quick note that the landscape around where they are is super pretty. It is, yeah. And I didn't talk about the village where they keep going to scam people either, but I thought the design of that was cool because it was very industrialized and it just is another sort of pointing out of how the Fire Nation has all this technology and resources. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. It is very different to um, some of the places we've encountered in, like, the Earth Kingdom and stuff like that. Yeah, and there's a giant statue of Ozai in the middle of the (laughs) town square. (laughs) Aang later gets up close and personal with. Yeah, it's just... It's really pretty, like, landscape where they are, like, just outside the town, and the town itself is really, um, looks really cool as well. So at this point, I think Aang and Katara are training alone together, and Toph is just sitting at the camp counting her money. <laughs> it's like Scrooge McDuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She just needs to swim in it. <laughs> and Sokka approaches her, and tries to show her the wanted poster oh my gosh this running joke that he can never remember that she's blind (laughs) it's so good (laughs) yeah he tries to show it to her and she's like i can't see (laughs) so she then gets him to describe it to her and he tells her basically you know that it's a drawing of her um, and they are looking for her in the fire nation and they're calling her the runaway Yes. It's a very crude drawing of her. (laughs) She kind of looks like some kind of monster, but she's like, is it a good drawing? And Sokka kind of holds the poster up and then looks back down at her and he goes back and forth between the two and he's like, yeah, actually it is. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, this is Sokka we're talking about, so by his standards, that is a good drawing. True. Yeah, it's kind of like on a level between Sokka's drawings and the posters they made when Appa was missing. (laughs) Oh my gosh. On a scale. (laughs) Yeah, 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 it is. You're right. Her reaction is to, well, she's excited, first of all, because she's like, ooh, the runaway, that's exciting, they're calling me that. (laughs) She really likes having, like, these cool names, I guess. And then she immediately offers to bribe him into keeping quiet about it because she doesn't want Katara to know. Right. Because she wants to keep scamming. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And I do love that. uh, So she tries to bribe him with, she says, you know, oh, we can get you like maps of the Fire Nation and stuff like that, which is, you know, stuff that Sokka loves. And Sokka replies, I do like expensive atlases. <laughs> and I just love that this joke keeps coming back as well, that he does it with the same intonation <laughs> every time. It's like, I do believe in the power of stuff. <laughs> and I've started using this now um, myself because I just think it's fun. Um, I've been using it on our Discord a lot. It's like, I am a fan of secret tunnels. <laughs> uh, so funny. Secret, secret rivers, sorry, not secret tunnels. He's not a fan of secret tunnels. No, he's not. <laughs> Traumatized. Forever. Yeah, so she ends up giving him this really big bag of gold. And she says, you know, buy something nice. And he he does say that he wants to make armor for Appa. And that does happen eventually. So at least the money went to a good cost. <laughs> cool that's cool to know yeah that comes back (laughs) nice nice i like that um yeah and uh did i imagine it or did you have a note about her bribing people as well yeah i did (laughs) i think she probably learned how to buy people off from her family because it seems like the bay fongs would 
be the type of shady people to do that. (laughs) Yeah, I think you're right. That seems like a family thing. So Sokka is kind of seemingly bought off for now. Uh, He has to avoid a little fight that goes on between Momo and Hawkey. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but then later on, Katara finds the poster. Finds, quote unquote. (laughs) Yeah, she's like, I was just cleaning up and I happened to find this. She went through Toph's stuff and Toph knows she's lying. So this results in another fight. And this is really where she makes it explicitly clear that she is not happy with Katara trying to mother her. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she specifically kind of refers to Katara as, she calls her bossy, I think, at one point mm-hmm. as well, which I could relate to because I was also called bossy when I was a kid. Because <laughs> I like to, like, be the leader of things and I, um, I don't know, I guess I was kind of assertive when I was a kid, which I'm not really that much now, so I don't really know what happened. But um... <laughs> I was the same way, though. Oh, see, there you go. You know, life, I don't know what life does to us. <laughs> Oh, God. Let's not get into that. (laughs) Let's not. Let's not. Yeah, they basically have a big falling out with each other, um, where Toph even accuses her of, like, being everyone's mom. They kind of part ways, and Aang and Sokka are just kind of observing this, and Sokka and... I guess Aang, too, but Aang is more vibing in this episode. (laughs) Sokka really wants to get them to make up. The one brain cell duo has their comeback. They decide, oh my gosh, this is the dumbest. I, it just, it cracks me up so much because like Sokka, who pretty much invented like hot air balloons and Aang, who is this wise, all-knowing avatar, decide to send a note from Toph to Katara apologizing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they forgot one key detail. Toph can't write! <laughs> it's so dumb. And the fact that, like, Sokka tells him the plan and Aang is like, oh my god, that's so impressive! <laughs> I love them so much. They're so good. They're so terrible (laughs) um in terms of like actually using their brain cells when they're together but they're so funny yeah and then there's that great line after it happens that like i can't believe we forgot top (laughs) and then ang in his infinite wisdom decides oh maybe we should send a note from katara to (laughs) top and saga's like i think we're gonna run into a similar problem Oh my gosh. They're so, so hilarious. Um, But yeah, of course, Katara immediately knows that Sokka sent it. He also uses his hawk to send it, which, like, even if there wasn't the fact that Toph couldn't write, like, wouldn't you be suspicious that it was um, Hawkey who was showing up with the message? In Sokka's handwriting, when it's her brother and she knows his handwriting... (laughs) The whole thing is just extremely ridiculous. And thankfully, Sokka's brain cells start working again, and he has a better idea. Yeah, Katara storms off, and he decides, all right, I'm going to have to do this myself, and I'm going to sit down with Toph and talk to her about this. And this is the conversation I was alluding to earlier that I think is really, really important and it's definitely my favorite part of this episode yeah i also love this conversation and the fact that also i think that Sokka knew katara was there for this conversation i think shows actually quite a bit of maturity for him in terms of like recognizing that if she was able to listen to Toph opening up that that might help them reconcile um so i'm proud of you Sokka. <laughs> Yeah, this is definitely the most emotional maturity we've seen out of him, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And he ends up sharing some very intimate, personal details of his life with Toph. And 
I think he sometimes has a problem being a little bit more vulnerable in that way, in an emotional way. So I'm really glad that he decided to do that. Yeah, and I think we've talked about it before. Um, I've probably talked about it ad nauseum, but I think that stems from the fact that he has had to step up in many ways as an older sibling and be strong and not let people see how he's feeling inside. And he deflects a lot of that kind of stuff with humor as well. Yeah, and we kind of see here that Katara was forced to take on the role of a mother when her own mother died because there was no one else to fill her shoes. And I think similarly, Sokka sort of had to do the same thing with Hakoda when he left um, to go away and fight in the war. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, and I think it's interesting how Katara, you know, being the younger sibling, she was able to kind of give Sokka this strength. Like he says, you know, she's the reason why I was able to stay strong, and I'm sure she would say the same about him as well. It's kind of this mutual thing. Even though, like, traditionally we think of the older sibling as being the one to be strong, I think that sometimes, in certain situations, younger siblings often um, feel like they have to step up. And I think that was the case with Katara. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think he also recognizes that he and Toph view Katara in this very similar way, where she almost has taken on this motherly, nurturing role in their lives, because he admits that he can't remember what his mom's face looks like anymore. He he can only picture Katara when he thinks about his mom, which is just the most heartbreaking thing ever. I was so devastated in that part, just listening to him say that. It's just, oh, it's so heartbreaking. It is, it is. And when we do get to see, we'll see a flashback of Kaya, who is their mother, and she looks just like Sokka, so... I'm like tearing up right now. No, I am too. That's so sad. Yeah, I think at this point, Toph realizes, you know, Katara's motherly side isn't always bad and she loves her and she cares for her and she shouldn't take that for granted. Yeah, and she calls her compassionate and kind, Mm -hmm. which I think is just such a lovely description of Katara. It is, it is. (laughs) And yeah, and I think you're right. This scene is brilliant in so many ways because we get to see Sokka showing that, you know, he is smart deep down. That's the thing with Sokka is that he's like on the surface, he's like goofing around being an idiot. (laughs) But deep down, he does have this like wisdom in a way. And maybe not the emotional intelligence, but we do see that he's working on that as well. Um, and uh, so it's it's really great for Sokka, and it's a nice moment for Toph, too, where she acknowledges that, like, you know, um, maybe Katara isn't so bad after all. Yeah, and I think she was just rejecting this idea of Katara being motherly because she is really angry at her own mother, but she knows that Katara loves her for exactly who she is, and she didn't get that from her biological parents. She gets it, I think, now. She really understands, like, oh, Katara was forced into this role. It wasn't something that's she's, like, really wants to be (laughs) I do think like you know her nurturing side is definitely innate but there is a part of her that's like acting older than she should be acting because she had to fill her mother's shoes I did want to note that the writers explicitly left Aang out of this conversation and they kept him sort of on the sidelines in this episode And I think that shows that he doesn't have the same issue that Toph and Sokka have viewing Katara as a mother figure. 
I did note when the sort of Katara being a mom thing came up that I have seen some stuff online about, you know, some people complaining <laughs> that Katara, like, mothers Aang and stuff like that. And I really don't think she does. Uh, and I think that's a really good example of how um, it's not in relation to Aang. I yeah, think. and even if she does act motherly or nurturing sometimes, he isn't taking that as like, oh, she is my mother kind of thing. <laughs> right, right, yeah. You know, it can just be part of your personality to be like a mom friend. You know, people joke about like a mom friend, which I think I am sometimes a little bit of a mom <laughs> friend um, because I tend to, my bag has everything that you could ever need. <laughs> I carry like, supplies with me everywhere wet wipes um ibuprofen you name it <laughs> and you know that's different to like actually being someone's mom <laughs> right so we do get this lovely scene and we as i said before we see that katara is listening so she gets to hear the kind of tough side of things and that makes her soften Sokka and Toph come back to camp and katara's there waiting and Toph is like, okay, you don't have to apologize, Katara. I get it. I was being a jerk. But then Katara's like, no, no, I don't want to apologize. I want to pull the ultimate scam with you. <laughs> yes. And I think this is fun because um, I think well, she does admit later on that like she did it because she wanted to seem fun, which is a little sad um for katara but i do think she's also trying to cheer toff up mm -hmm. yeah i feel like this is her way of like making up to her in a way mm -hmm. yeah she's like i know toff will enjoy this <laughs> and so we immediately then cut to the beginning of the episode again yes where toff is getting arrested and it turns out katara's idea is to turn Toph in and then Toph will just metal bend her way out of jail and Katara will collect the reward money. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's why she's putting on this big show and Toph is like, You betrayed me. <laughs> Their acting is pretty good, I'm not gonna lie. I think yeah, it is. It is pretty good. It's better than uh Sokka's acting <laughs> in the headband. And uh, Toph gets, you know, as they planned, she gets taken away. And then, you know, Katara gets praised. And they tell her, you know, you did a great thing. And she's like, you know, I didn't do it for the reward. <laughs> the right thing is its own reward. <laughs> but I still want the reward. <laughs> I love her. So good. So good. Um, yeah, it's funny because you can tell that, like, she's not super comfortable with pulling a scam so she's a little bit unsure about you know what to do and she's like just trying to make sure that like i still want the reward <laughs> by the way unfortunately though what they didn't count on was tough uh for some reason they take her away and they don't put her in one of the metal cells even though they have one of them they put her in a wooden cell yikes yeah <laughs> Which is a problem. It is. She's not a woodbender. <laughs> she doesn't have bendables. <laughs> yeah, I do just wonder, like, why they put her in a wooden cell. You know, the metal cells, they're not, like, completely made out of metal. They have, like, a rock side and a rock bottom. And we find out that this was orchestrated by Sparky Sparky Boom Man. And I think he knows that Toph is an earthbender. Yeah, it was his idea. He said, put her in a wooden cell. Okay, yeah, because I was going to say, he doesn't know she's a metal No, bender. but he knows she's an earthbender, so. Gotcha. So, yeah, so she's kind of a little uh, stuffed. <laughs> Katara is going to collect the reward money, and the warden, I guess he is, is like the warden of the town or the sheriff, he points to the door and is like, here she is. Here's the girl you wanted. And oh, no, it's Sparky Sparky Boom Man. Come to ruin everything. <laughs> so now we have Katara and Toph both in trouble because Katara 
is with Sparky Sparky Boom Man, and Toph is stuck in a cell. Yes. It cuts back then to Aang and Sokka, and they're pacing around the camp, getting pretty worried because at this point, Toph and Katara have been away for a while now, and they decide to go to the village to check things out. They put Appa in charge. (laughs) Good idea. Which is pretty funny, yeah, because Momo and Hoki are still fighting, so Appa, you know, tells them what's what. Um, He's not going to stand for any fighting while they're away. (laughs) And meanwhile, they've put Katara and Toph actually into um, the cell together, and we find out that it's because they basically, uh, Sparky Sparky Boom Man is looking for Aang, obviously, and he's using them as bait. Yeah. Oh, boy. The girls have this heart to heart, and it's very sweet. They have a very nice discussion, bonding in their wooden prison cell. (laughs) Yeah, it's not super, like, new information that we get, I think. But it's just nice to see them having those moments. I do always enjoy when Katara and Toph have those moments. Toph does admit that Katara may have been right about her caring for her parents and how they left off was not exactly the best way to leave things. So that's a little bit of a new revelation. That's true, yeah. I mean, I guess what I'm saying is that we already kind of suspected that. But um, you're right, it is kind of new information to us that it's correct. And she also says, you know, I think my parents are probably kind of worried about me. Right. (laughs) Even though, you know, uh, she's happy to be gone, that she does wonder, like, I probably upset them. Yeah, she definitely has love in her heart for them, and you can't blame her for that. It's, I think, a kind of universal thing with people who have parents, even if you have a bad relationship with your parents, there's a part of you that kind of wants to have a good relationship with your parents. Just look at Zuko and Ozai. (laughs) Exactly, exactly, yeah. Like, the worst father on the planet, but he still wants his dad to love him. You know, especially if you're a child, I think. That's something that you, you know, desire. And, uh, yeah, they do have this this very sweet conversation. Meanwhile, Aang and Sokka are trying to run away from Sparky Sparky Boom Man, which, um, bless him, Aang is trying to embrace the name. <laughs> yes, but Sokka decides it's kind of trivializes how scary this guy actually is. <laughs> right, right. And later on, he will come up with a better name. But right now they're just trying to survive. So. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the hard part. Um, because he's very unrelenting. We talked about this, I think, when he appeared, but he just, you know, he doesn't stop. Right. He doesn't care who gets caught in the crossfire, including himself. Right. And they don't really have time to catch their breath. And so we cut back to Katara and Toph, and they are looking for bendables. Yeah, and... Unfortunately, Toph didn't take her space rock bracelet, I guess that's what they call it, (laughs) that Sokka gifted her with. She didn't take that with her because she was afraid they would take it off of her when they captured her. So they're really left with nothing at this point. But this is when Katara starts sweating. (laughs) Yes, yes. And uh, she sweats a little bit and then she has an idea and then she starts running in place (laughs) and Toph is very confused as to what's going on yeah Toph is like uh Katara are you okay are you you okay (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) but it turns out she has realized that she can make her own water with her sweat which is pretty genius actually it is and Toph even calls her a genius and I love this too because I feel like you know, girls aren't supposed to be sweaty. They're supposed to be all put together and, you know, feminine. And, like, sweating is normally seen as, like, this masculine sort of thing. And here Katara just, like, owns it completely and embraces 
her sweat. <laughs> and it's such an innovative way to use her waterbed thing. I just really like that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think it's great. And we've talked before about how Katara does have these uh, moments where she can really use water in unusual ways. Mm-hmm. Very creative. Yes, yes, she is. Which the pelvic chakra, the water chakra, is associated with creativity, as we talked about. Aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it's implied that they break out this way because we see her swiping at the wood with her sweat <laughs> water bending. And then we cut back to Aang and Sokka, who are still having a really rough time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this is when, uh, at one point, Aang ends up being hurled through the air. And he slams directly into the chest of the giant Ozai statue. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if that's a metaphor. <laughs> Probably. I would imagine. A very painful metaphor. <laughs> don't like it yeah something about confrontation Uh, but then luckily katara comes in to save the day and she basically freezes sparky sparky boom man's head (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah yeah they manage to stop him by you know uh pulling this move yeah so they're running away and he breaks free from the ice but then Toph bends like a boulder near him and he breaks it apart with his combustion bending, I guess if you want to call it that. <laughs> and one of the pebbles from the boulder breaks off and hits him basically in his third eye tattoo. And he's incapacitated after that and almost blows himself up. That's uh, not good for him, but good for our gang. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then get away. Yay. <laughs> Yay. And, and very important, Sokka comes up with a new name for him. Combustion Man. <laughs> it's definitely easier to say than Sparky Sparky Boom Man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's why it's it's more convenient. So they've evaded him again, which seems to be the pattern so far with Combustion Man. They just keep running away from him. <laughs> Yeah, it's hard to defeat him. And they go back to their campsite. And Toph tells them that she has an idea for something that she wants to do. Yeah, specifically Katara. She gets Katara to help her write a letter to her parents and kind of let them know that she's okay. Yeah, and Katara's very happy to be doing this. (laughs) But then... They use hockey to send the letter, and hockey is gone forever. <laughs> I'm so sad. I wonder what happened. Like, did he arrive with the Bayfonds, and he was just like, oh my god, this place is amazing. I'm never leaving. <laughs> Let's hope that was his fate. <laughs> I hope so. That's what I'm going to headcanon from now on. Oh, poor Sokka. He's like, where's hockey? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they didn't even ask him. That's kind of the worst part, is that, like, they just use hockey and don't even ask him about it. This episode is definitely, like, one of the more inconsequential episodes, I think. But it's not bad. It has some good character moments, I think. And uh, especially the the conversation that we talked about, Sokka and Tops. Yeah, definitely. I I think that definitely needed to be had. And I think, you know... Now they finally really got to the root of the problem. That was another thing is like they just kept pushing that away. And now it's like, okay, we've addressed this. This is good. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And maybe we don't have to have Katara and Toph fighting again. (laughs) Yeah, because we don't, you don't want any kind of animosity like that going into a big battle. You don't want like this internal conflict between these characters right right that's a good point yeah and it's coming up pretty soon all right so do you think we're ready to pick our mvp okay i kind of want to give it to Sokka. oh that's really nice i just feel like you know well he was obviously very dumb in some moments but (laughs) 
<laughs> I think he was kind of the bridge between Katara and Toph, and he really helped them come to this understanding together. So I think he was really great in this episode, and I appreciated him. Aw. I was thinking about Katara. For once, I wasn't thinking of Sokka. Um, <laughs> Uh, because I think she does a really great job in this episode too, but I guess she does fight with Toph in it. But like, I was thinking like the sweat bending. Yeah. And that kind of stuff. So yeah, I don't know. Do we just give it to Sokka? Do we give it to both of them? What do you think? I think we can give it to both. (laughs) Yeah. Do you also think that Katara works? Yeah, because if we can forgive Sokka's stupidity, we have to forgive Katara's fighting with Toph, so. (laughs) Yeah, and she was also, you know, trying to, like, help Toph out and stuff. Okay, so let's do both. The Water Tribe siblings get it. So, shall we move on then to our Ember Island playlist? Alright. Let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) This was hard. Uh, Rach knows that I really struggled this week. I think it's the closest to the wire that I've ever come up with a song. (laughs) Aww. I'll let you, uh, if you would like to go first, Rach, and uh, and then I'll give you my pick. Okay. So I picked You Seemed So Happy by The Japanese House. This is really centered around Toph, because I did feel like this is a very Toph-centric episode. And really, the whole thing about this song is about sort of concealing your true feelings and putting on a mask, and I do feel like Toph does that a lot, and she has this very hard exterior, but underneath it, she is a pretty emotional person, and has these moments of vulnerability. So, the lyrics are, sometimes I start concealing the way that I work in my head, can't take it anymore. I won't stop feeling the weight of my world. And the chorus goes, oh, you seemed so happy to everybody you knew. These things don't happen to anybody like you. So it's also other people's perception of the person who's singing the song and how they're like, well, bad things don't happen to you because you grew up very privileged and It's just trying to explore this different perspective. Just because you had it easy in some parts of your life and you seem happy to the outside world doesn't mean that you necessarily are and that you can't struggle as well. And the singer, Amber, she heads um, the Japanese house. She sings and I found a really good quote that I think sort of sums up the song, which is, Amber is talking about herself here. She constantly puts on a happy face when around friends, so they would never guess that underneath she's really a mess. There is a disconnect between Amber's persona and her personal relationship with people around her, and I thought that was a pretty good way of describing Toph, at least in the beginning of the episode until she really opened up to Sokka and Katara. So that's my pick. (laughs) I like that a lot. I think, again, you've really explored Toph's personality. And it kind of ties in nicely to my song, actually. (laughs) Okay. Because my song is more about that external persona that Toph shows to everyone. Um, because, so this song, I will say, it is about a romantic relationship, so some parts of it don't really apply, but I felt like the spirit of it applied to Toph. Um, and the song is So What by Pink. You know, the chorus of it is, so what, I'm still a rock star, I've got my rock moves and I don't need you, and guess what, I'm having more fun. And now that we're done, I'm going to show you tonight, I'm alright, I'm just fine, and you're a tool, so, so what, I am a rock star. I got my rock moves, and I don't want you tonight. And I thought, well, the rock thing is just kind of funny, because it's tough. I didn't even think about that, that's 
<laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> but um, I thought it kind of reminded me of her attitude like towards her parents and kind of pretending that she doesn't care. So what? Um, I'm just having fun. I'm doing my own thing. But then I feel like there are bits of the song that kind of suggest that this person is actually suffering a little bit. So like um, the bridge says, you weren't there, you never were. You want it all, but that's not fair. I gave you life, I gave my all. You weren't there, you let me fall. So again, it's about a romantic relationship, but I feel like you could kind of make it um, in a way about her parents as well. How she feels a little bit resentful towards them and then also, you know, uh, she's putting on this exterior of like not caring about it. Oh, there's also a line, I forgot to say this one. I want to get in trouble, I want to start a fight. (laughs) so true <laughs> yeah i decided to go with that in the end uh and i apologize for it not being super relevant but i did my best yeah that's fine okay so shall we talk about then what's going on next week okay <laughs> oh boy is it the puppet master it is the puppet master ah okay i have heard things about this episode Yeah, this is definitely one of the darkest episodes of the show, I would say. Very creepy. Again, we're going with kind of those horror vibes that we had in the swamp, but I feel like they're even more amplified in this episode. And again, we have a very Katara-centric episode, which is great. I don't really know what to say. I know that bloodbending is involved. Yeah. I know you were spoiled a little bit on that. But I don't know much else about it. Okay. Um, and I know that it's Katara-centric. It's an interesting one. I mean, I think some of the really good parts of the episode are seeing sort of what happened to the Southern Water Tribe in the war even before Katara was born and sort of how the Fire Nation attacked them and targeted them and the effect it had on the people of the Southern Water Tribe. I think that's really important to see. All right, we'll see how that goes. All right, well, until next time, you can find us on Twitter at Ember Sayers where Rebecca tweets out the MVP of the episode, or MVPs, depending on who we choose. And we also love to interact with you on there, so please send us a tweet. If you would like to send us something a little bit longer, um, you can email us, emberislandsayers at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you, and we will gladly read out your email on the podcast, unless you don't want us to, of course. We are on multiple platforms, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Even if you don't listen to us on Apple Podcasts, please give us a five-star rating and a review. This is one of the best ways that people can end up finding us. Until the next creepy episode that we have to watch, I just want to tell everybody to stay flaming. Stay flaming. You know, we couldn't have hockey stick around forever. Just too many mouths to feed. <laughs>